You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The gut punch, the shock of spring was hard. But the fall felt like just being like kicked when you were already down. Like we are all solo on any sort of reserves or margin or resources or patience. And it just felt like the hits kept coming. But I do want to recognize the bright spots that this was a free and fair election and that millions and millions of Americans participated in it. And that is fantastic. And that is wonderful. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the final episode of Pantsuit Politics for 20. 20. For anyone who is a new listener, Beth and I and our fabulous team take the final two weeks of the year off to let ourselves rest and recover. And we certainly need that after this year. You know, in past at the end of a year here at Pantsy Politics, we've done such such hopeful episodes like what we wish if we had a magic wand. What do we want to see policy wise? That did not feel appropriate for 2020, maybe in January. But for 2020, we really wanted to process with all of you this 
incredible, historical, unprecedented year. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the different seasons of 2020, the events that had they happened one at a time in a single year would have seemed momentous, but that when you really line them up and take it all in, you realize that we have been asked to face, confront, deal with, react to an enormous, enormous amount of things here in 2020. And so that's what we're going to tackle here with our last episode. And we hope that this gives you some good closure for the year, an opportunity to catch up on Pantsy Politics episodes that maybe you haven't listened to yet. I know many of you are like completion people. They have to, you have to hear everything. I admire that about you. So get caught up. I am so excited about what we are working on in January and through the rest of the year. I feel like we're going to get to do so many interesting topics on the podcast next year. So a little closure today, some space, and then diving in in January. What really struck me and was sort of the impetus for the idea for the show is as I was looking back, particularly on the months of January and February in 2020, before we were shut down, before we were social distancing and wearing masks, before the pandemic had taken over all our lives, we'd already dealt with an enormous amount of crises and news and chaos. I mean, in January alone... We dealt with the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. We had the Australian devastating bushfires. We even had Prince Harry and Meghan Markle walk away from the royal family. And that was followed closely behind in February by the impeachment of Donald Trump. It's just like when you look back and think so much of what seems momentous about this year is the pandemic. But before that even really affected all of our daily lives, we'd already dealt with so much. January in particular, when I started putting together just my own notes of everything that took place, it really knocked me down to look at Mm -hmm. January. Because in my mind, in so many ways now, this year starts in March. Yep. It feels like a lifetime ago when you and I were in Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Even when we were in Texas for our last trip of the year before everything shut down, that just feels like a different era. And looking at that era and thinking about its complexity and remembering how consumed, I mean, I was consumed by transcripts from impeachment hearings for Mm -hmm. so much of this year. It's really breathtaking, everything that we've undergone as a as a country and as a world. I mean, globally, so much of this too, the Australian bushfires, a lot of this has just impacted all of us. It's no wonder we're feeling a real lack of processing power as a citizenry right now across the world. Well, and I think, you know, as I look back in, in January and February and the Democratic primaries, it felt because it was such a historical, diverse slate of candidates that were running for the nomination. Like it was, it felt so intense at the time and the debates felt so intense. And now I'm like, oh, what I wouldn't give for that like positive intensity. And I think it sort of faded so quickly because, you know, Joe Biden became the candidate in many ways. He was expected because he was the least diverse of the offerings and, you know, is not bringing any sort of historical barriers except for being the oldest president. I just, I think that kind of like, We moved on so quickly, even though it was such a big deal and it felt so 
intense and, you know, you got swept up with one candidate and then maybe they would drop out. And we had so much vested in the incredible like positivity of Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren's plans. And so many of us got our hearts broken at the beginning of this year with that primary. And we had to just kind of like forget about it, move on quickly, not to mention just the drama of the Iowa caucus itself and all that. I mean, I was thinking about like, oh, my God, what if the pandemic had been there and they'd had to figure out how to do those caucuses in the middle of social distancing after witnessing one? I mean, we had drama when they could, you know, they had every tool available to them and there was delays and who was one and it was so close. It's like, you know, it should have been a good preview for the intensity of the rest of this election season. I think some of us thought that way, but I just look back at it and how consumed we were by that process. And then it was like, we didn't have time to be like, Wow, that was a lot before we were like rushing on to the next thing, which is a theme throughout 2020. I always feel a little silly setting specific goals for the next year because I have learned, at least in the business context, that you don't know what's going to matter. You think you know what's going to matter and you have to make some decisions to keep some intention about that. But ultimately, so much unfolds that you don't know what's going to matter. And boy, that hit home with me just in such a visceral way looking at this list, because I think at the beginning of the year, it felt really clear what the priorities for 2020 were going to be. And to have so many natural disasters in addition to the pandemic coming in, it, it reminded me that I probably need to adopt some of the flexibility and intention around politics that I have learned to bring to the business side. Mm. The other thing that was really difficult for me to sit with for a moment, and I can't believe I haven't thought about this before. I think that shows you too how much we've just been living from one thing to another. But to sit back and recall the impeachment proceedings also made me think, where would we be today if the Senate had removed President Trump? Mm. And that is really hard to think about Mm -hmm. because as much as I don't hold Mike Pence up as a shining representative of my politics, I can imagine him leading through the pandemic uninfluenced by Donald Trump, if that were even possible. Maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe he would continue to be the the president on Twitter, right? Even if he had been removed. Mm -hmm. But I just think... How many people might still be alive today? It's just, it opens up a lot of really hard, painful questions. And I think that maybe it's important to be in that grief. Yeah. While I still set a certain amount of New Year's resolutions, and I assume I set some in 2020, I don't remember what they were. (laughs) But the practice that I've really internalized is a word of the year. And this year you and I bought Allie Edwards one little word journals so that like you keep plugging into your word all year long and focusing on it. And I really enjoyed that. And also it was really hard because my word was clarity. And I gained a lot of clarity about myself and the world and how I interact with the world through 2020. It's like if you if you gain clarity through difficulties and suffering, then we should all be like reaching Buddha level reflection and self-awareness at this point. I'm not quite there yet, but I do like, it's like, there's almost a way I look back and I'm like, dang, I regret picking that word. (laughs) My word for next year is gentle. Feel really good about that. But it's like, it's, there was a sense of gaining like 
really good clarity and insight in these quick, intense events, but like having no chance to really process and internalize them because we were moving on to the same thing, the next thing. I feel like I learned a lot through the Democratic primary process. I feel like I learned a lot through the impeachment. And in some ways, as I look at the way the events of this year have played out, I feel like those lessons were true. And we just we just saw them come home over and over again. Like, I, I hear you saying that. And also, we know how they're acting when he lost. So they would have acted the same way if he'd been impeached. He would have fought it and torn down our institutions and gone after the processes. Like, I think we don't have to kind of wonder what would have happened if had they removed him from office because he's been removed from office right now and we see how he's acting, you know? Yeah, I have so many questions about what would have happened if he had been removed. I have. I wonder if Joe Biden would have won the election. I wonder. I just, a million things, right? A, a million things. The Democratic primary was exceptionally helpful to me in clarifying where I sit politically right now. I think it helped me understand that there is some place for me here, at least right now. I think it helped me clarify what I think the government is good at doing and not doing. Mm. It helped me figure out where I have problems with the party. What precisely are those or what's the rub for me? And is that a real thing or is that a hangover from other phases of life? Just the ability to get to some actual substantive discussion and not constantly center the conversation around not just Donald Trump, but Mitch McConnell or the Republican Party in general was a gift to me in figuring mm-hmm. out where I am today. So I I really, however everyone feels about the way that it unfolded, and I understand that there are a lot of feelings about that, and there should be. It's there's a lot of people, you know, invested in it. It's very complicated and very high stakes. But that component of it, the debates especially, were extremely helpful to me. Well, and, you know, as we're processing this year, I want to be grateful. I'm so grateful that our community provided us the opportunity to go to the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary where we went to a Biden rally and we got to see the next president of the United States up close and personal. I felt like that was an incredibly valuable experience, seeing the caucus play out, watching people interact with the process, especially as... 2020 played out and we have so much questioning about polling. Well, how do we read communities and having the opportunity to go in those communities and watch how they were responding to the policies and the politicians themselves was just unbelievably valuable and helpful. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. I don't want to process 2020 and forget that we did learn a lot through positive experiences, not just negative ones. I could not agree more. Going to the Iowa caucus in particular is one of the most valuable educational experiences I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I mean, that truly was the best field trip I've ever been on. And and I would like to do more of that where we have the chance. And, and some of this is a little bit because of the way Iowa runs those caucuses. And I know that has its, its downsides too. But we were able to be there. You know, and not in some weird spectator role. Nobody put a bunch of limitations on where we could stand and who we could talk to. We were able to just be embedded in it. And because of that, I learned so much and got so many questions answered and really kind of fell in love with my country a little bit more. You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't felt as patriotic in a long time as I felt watching the Iowa caucuses, Uh, even with everything that happened in the counting So I share your gratitude for those experiences, definitely. So it was as we were traveling for the caucus and 
the New Hampshire primary that we started to hear about this virus in China. I bought masks because we were flying through O'Hare quite a bit. And it felt like, you know, we had one more trip to Texas for a speaking gig. And then that was the last, I mean, time that we got to fly and travel together and do any of our speaking gigs. And then it rapidly just fell apart. I mean, we had a spring tour planned. Remember, we were going to go to, I don't even remember where. (laughs) Well, I know we were going to do like Boston, New York, D.C. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'd booked all that travel. See, like it's that feels like a lifetime ago because the shutdowns happened so quickly. And, you know, the two moments in March that I will never forget and will recite to my grandparents, my grandchildren when they're asking me what it was like to live through this pandemic is the first we were gathering at church on a Wednesday night and talking about, oh, my gosh, it's coming. They're going to shut down schools. They're going to shut down schools. And a friend of mine said, okay, guys, I'll see you in the fall. And we all kind of (laughs) laughed. But he was right. We're not even done. We went through the fall and still haven't seen each other. And then the second thing I'll never forget is a tweet I read, and I wish I could remember from who. And this woman said, All this six-week business is ridiculous. Start to count 2020 as a lost year. Nothing's going back to normal this year. And it's like, I simultaneously was like, no, she's not. That's not true. That's not what people are saying. And also every cell in my body went, she's right. I know she's right. And I think those moments where you like could, those sort of quick openings where you could, you could see and like something and you connected with clarity to like, this is how, this is not going to be six weeks. I think I will never forget because I think there were moments like that for all of us when we realized like this is this is going to be life changing. Mine was sitting in the airport coming home from Texas. So, y'all, our last event from the year, when we say speaking gig, it was the biggest one we'd ever done. We were in a room with over a thousand people and it was a warm room. There was lots of hugging, handshaking. And I remember while we were in the room Because as we flew through O'Hare, I connected there too. And as I'm walking through Chicago, I look up and there's a big Fox News on where they're saying the first case had been reported in Chicago. And I remember kind of going cold at that. Mm -hmm. And so then we get to the room and I looked around and I thought, oh, this is maybe not a good idea right now. And it was a wonderful event, so much fun. The people who invited us could not have been more wonderful to work with. And then I get to the airport. I'm waiting to come home and watching the news and kind of reading things. And I pulled up Voxer and I sent a message to my friend James and I said, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. And I'm looking at what's on our calendars And I don't feel like I want to travel anymore for a while. Am I overreacting to everything? And I remember him responding and saying, I don't know. (laughs) You know, Mm. he said, it doesn't sound like an overreaction to me, but it's also so weird that I don't know how to process this. And I got home and drove to Kroger to pick some things up. And that was the last time for a long time that I went anywhere, that trip to Kroger. Wow. I remember reading that Oprah had canceled everything through the end of the year and was like, "Okay, that's it. We're done. If Oprah's canceling everything through the end of the year, this is it. And, you know, the kids came home. It was very quickly adapting to distance learning, figuring that out. It was incredibly difficult. 
um, especially for my youngest, Felix. And just, you know, at first, because there was so little curriculum coming from the school and so and like we didn't have a bunch of Zoom meetings, it was like me trying to fill the day with them. And, you know, it like everything, it's fun at first, <laughs> at least for me. I like projects. I like new challenges. And it very quickly became much less fun. Now, we were lucky in that, you know, neither of us lived in red zones in the spring. So I we were able to go hiking and we would do geocaching and we would walk around our neighborhoods. And so, but it was just that fear of like not knowing, not understanding it, that the moments when we were all like worried about our grocery store, I remember Nicholas and I walking around with Clorox wipes every night and wiping down all our doorknobs and surfaces and being so scared that my grandmother or my parents were going were going to get it and we didn't know what it was or what it meant. Endless, endless, endless coverage of ventilators and if we had enough and PPE. I think there were also amongst that time like real moments of connection and warmth. Like I loved turning into the Instagram lives and D-Nice's DJing and watching our governor's press conferences every day, feeling very connected in certain moments during that time. But it was really scary and especially in the beginning because there was just so much we didn't know. I'm still so grateful for Michelle Becker for coming on our show and helping us. And I do remember like picking up on what she was laying down from the beginning of like, it's not living on surfaces. We can't keep it alive in labs. Like everybody needs to chill about that. But (laughs) it was still so scary. You just didn't know. My husband was there the whole time. We never wiped our groceries down because Chad was like, that's dumb, Beth. That's 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 not what this is. And I have really been grateful to have married someone who has a much richer scientific vocabulary and understanding than I do, because I've really leaned on his take on things throughout this process. I think the thing that I wish I could go back to March and say to myself is that this living in short bursts is too hard. And I think Oprah's approach of canceling through the end of the year was the right one. And I think... If I could have just heard in March, this is going to be a marathon, Mm -hmm. I think the year would have been a little bit gentler for me than it has been. Because once I got to that place of just accepting like, oh, we aren't going anywhere. Maybe they haven't canceled yet, but this is not going to happen. It was much less stressful. But, you know, we had some events that went kind of down to the wire on whether they were going to still hold this and what would Mm -hmm. we do in that case. And should I travel to this or should I insist on remote and whatever. I mean – That stuff, it just felt like a new individual risk equation every single time. And that part of this has been so exhausting and really kind of torn into those moments of connection. Mm -hmm. Because I think for two weeks, everybody was okay with just like, (laughs) huddle up and we're going to do this. And as it has dragged on, that's gotten so much harder. You know what really struck me in this time period too? So I, I was writing down that, okay, pandemic starts in March. And then I realized that's when Breonna Taylor was killed. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really start thinking about Brianna Taylor until May and realizing that gap when she's in Louisville, which is yeah. an hour and 15 minutes from my house, really took me back and was a reminder of how much things have changed and and I guess how much they haven't too. Yeah. I mean, I remember the story happening and I, I didn't feel like with George Floyd's murder, it was the first time I'd heard of Breonna Taylor by any stretch of the imagination. I think we talked about it on the show because it was in Kentucky and it was popping up more on our radar. 
And I think that we, I mean, I remember you talking about no-knock warrants on the show probably in April or May. I'm not sure the exact timeline, but just feeling like after years and years, really since Ferguson and Michael Brown, that there were cases that would come up into the mass media like they would they would reach a fevered pitch and everybody would pay attention to the that case and we would say this is a problem this is a tragedy you know from Flando Castile to Freddie Gray to all these 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 cases that would come up and but this time and I don't know if it was the pandemic there's a part of me that thinks it was or if it was just the incredibly horrific nature of that video of watching George Floyd being murdered on the street, that it stopped feeling like we're going to talk about, like we're, we're talking about these as one-offs. It stopped feeling like that. And I think that is the dedication and activism of the Black Lives Matter movement who were always, always, always in the streets protesting, pushing back on this idea that they were one-offs or bad apples. And it's not like I ever felt like that, but you know, the coverage was just so disjointed. And now it feels like since this summer, since those protests across the country, which were, you know, in a historical year that it's hard to process and hard to grieve and you feel angry, like that moment, I would say, is when I felt really proud to be, you know, in this historical moment as an American, not because, you know, You know, pride is a weird word. I don't know exactly the right word. I don't feel proud that we're finally reckoning with the incredibly racist history of our country. But I do. It felt different. It felt different to watch these protests play out in tiny towns, including my own. You know, people filled the streets in my own town more than I've ever seen for any other thing like this. And realizing, like, we're breaking through. That doesn't mean we're done. This is the first of many breakthroughs we're going to need. And I think we've backslid since that moment. But like, I think that those protests in that moment in the summer was the clearest sort of instead of feeling like history was just happening to me, like with the pandemic, it felt like I was because I think that's what's so hard about this year is in so many ways you feel powerless. And so in that moment, it didn't feel like history was happening to me. It felt like I was participating in a way that I would be proud to tell my grandchildren what it was like, that we did look across the country and people saw things they were not, they had not seen before and they wanted to do something about it and they made their voices heard. It's just the first step and not the first step for many people who've been working on this for their entire lives or, you know, a project that we've been working on in this country from the beginning, but it did. It felt different. And as I look back on the on this year, like those moments in the summer and the conversations I had and the protests I participated in and and what we talked about on the show and what we heard from our listeners and what we all watched play out across the country was incredibly powerful. I feel kind of conflicted in talking about my personal reflection and learnings on this period. I I will say that the juxtaposition of the racial reckoning and the protest and George Floyd's murder and the attention that it got with the pandemic advanced my understanding of the problem, mm-hmm. I think. Because and, and I'm on a board with someone who 
just frequently talks about how we have these twin pandemics, the racial pandemic and the, the coronavirus. And when he talks about that, it just helps me organize my thoughts so much more effectively because it's a reminder that the issues around race and policing in this country, George Floyd's murder is a very extreme example of how that plays out. Breonna Taylor less so, right? That's very predictable. There's a process we understand. A lot of the policing reforms, and Matt Iglesias just did a a very thoughtful essay about this, would not have helped George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Because that was an individual who acted brutally with other individuals who stood around and let him. Like that level of malice and abusive power and just violence inherent in one person, that is extreme. But it is a manifestation of a problem that, like coronavirus, can present in such an extreme way and some people can present in less extreme examples on a one-off basis. And it's still deadly overall because it's still so corrosive overall to all of our systems and to our economy and to our health and to our mental health. And understanding those two things side by side has made me, I think and I hope, you know, in my not sitting in front of a microphone life, a more effective advocate for systems reforms around race to help people understand, I am not accusing you of being like the officer who killed George Floyd. I Mm -hmm. am saying racism is in our air Mm -hmm. and we have to do something about it because it is corrosive in every way as it hangs in our air. And I think from, you know, the political perspective, especially, you know, from our seats here on the show, having those protests happen and then having the party conventions, the virtual party conventions right after, it just like crystallized so much that like this is where the country is heading and these are the people who resent it. Like, I think about that beautiful moment that was so diverse when they were doing the roll call in the Democratic National Convention and how we all loved it. And it felt like such a like it felt like the appropriate, like positive response to so much of the conversations happening around the pandemic, happening around the racial reckoning. Like it just felt like a, a good the reminder we all needed, like. We need that discipline of hope. We need to see where we're headed and to watch that and be like, okay, yes, this is why we're doing these hard things. This is why we're struggling through these conversations. This is why we're, you know, investigating our own individual actions and motivations and having difficult conversations with those we love because like this is the vision, right? This is what we're, this is what we want to be in America. This is the beautiful diversity, both geographically and population wise that plays out across this nation. And it just, it felt really nice. It felt good to watch it all. I think that's why we all had that response to that particular moment. And then, you know, to have the Republican National Convention come right after that and just this really stark reminder that like, oh yeah, but everybody ain't there with us. I hope that something that we continue to take away from this year are some of those simpler, more localized structures less problem and circumstance and more highlighting people across the country. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that a convention ever needs to happen the way it used to. 
I think this convention was much better. When I think about the inauguration, I think it's something that could set a tone for the future that would be better. I think we should have an inauguration, not a coronation. And I fear that we have gone too far in that direction, especially since we've had this whole ridiculousness about crowd size. I think it might allow people outside of Washington, D.C. to feel more connected to their government, people who would never fly to Washington, D.C. for an event like that. And still, this is their president. Getting rid of the inaugural balls might be a good idea. You know, we're at a moment where we could really learn a lot from this year. And I think this year we have more than ever spread out our understanding of what different life experiences look like. I've never heard so many people, and I've never thought so much myself, reflect on like, gosh, I have a reliable internet connection. Not everybody does. Mm. I can figure out how to feed my family when groceries get low. Not everybody can. I can afford to provide levels of education and entertainment and care for my kids that not everybody can. And so I hope that we can hold on to that understanding and start to strip away at some of the things in our country that really do feel like a democratic government functioning more like a monarchy. All of this fancy stuff while people are enduring all kinds of things all over the country. And I feel like Joe Biden's a really good person to usher in a new way on those topics. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. 
Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. The intensity of the summer and the protest and even the conventions to a certain extent is really where I started to run out of margin. Like It just it felt like we did have options. I think the summer felt the most normal for me of all the time this year, like because there were just so many outside options. I felt like I saw my friends the most. I felt like the kids and I got out the most, but it still started to, you know, the summer is always a difficult time with the kids being home and like piling up the early months of the spring on the summer is where I really started to run out of runway to a certain extent. And, you know, we went to the beach at one point and that was a nice sort of moment to disconnect. But like when I look back on it and I think like we were still just dealing with the ramp up to the election So much of Donald Trump's chaos and drama, like never letting up, feeling like the the fall was coming. And I when I think back, I think of like September, October, November, the fall, like. The gut punch, the shock of spring was hard, but. The fall felt like just being like kicked when you were already down. Like we are all solo on any sort of reserves or margin or resources or patience. And it just felt like the hits kept coming really badly, especially, you know, we had the terrible wildfires in California. Those apocalyptic orange skies were, you know, awful and scary. And I think all of us were so, you know, taken aback by that happening and the lack of any sort of response coming from the White House. We, of course, had Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying, which really, to me, like that, that might be the moment that lives with me for a long time after this year is over, is we had we're going to dinner with a friend. We were really excited. You know, it felt like like with the election and everything going on, like we could see the end. I felt comfortable that Donald Trump was going to lose. It felt like people were seeing the matrix to a certain extent. And I will never forget my friend coming in and saying Ruth died. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? And then like just it felt 
really scary and really shocking. And I just, the weeks from her death until really the beginning of December, just were between the president getting COVID and the debate, that debate, awful, awful debate to performance. It just felt horrific. Like those two, those, you know, two and a half months, three months just were truly, truly awful. I think that period for me felt like I was frozen. I did not want to go anywhere, whether it be a restaurant or a store or to the beach like we always do. So we didn't. We d- we just didn't go anywhere. Chad did all the shopping for us. I met my friends outside to like sit on porches and individual lawn chairs <laughs> far away from each other. I mean, I just felt really frozen. And I think that part of it was that I had so present in my mind what happens to my mom if she gets this. Mm. And so the best I could do was just be still and hope that my being still helped her far away not get it. I think I did go see my niece when she was born, and now I'm so grateful that I did because I don't think that that trip would be wise today. But other than that, I really kept it inside in a small circle of people And I think part of that, too, was just feeling this rush socially and culturally and organizationally of, well, this has just gone on for so long, we've got to get things back on track. You know, people were answering emails more and sending more and scheduling meetings. Mm -hmm. And there was just this sense of like, we got to be done with this. And, And I knew and could feel in every cell We are so not done with this, Mm -hmm. and it is going to cost us so much to behave as though we are, and yet we are anyway, and there's nothing that I can do about it. And and so that was – it was really a dark period for me too, and I'm not sure I'm out of that period yet because I'm looking at the winter knowing how difficult it's going to be, even as I feel confidence about the way the vaccine trials are proceeding and approvals and that, you know, as we're getting into distribution of vaccines, I feel, I feel confidence about all of that, but the weather and the exhaustion that everyone's feeling, I'm just, I still feel a little like maybe if I'm just really still, at least I'm not contributing to the problem and I can't seem to unfreeze myself. And that, that that is in my jaw, you know, it's, it's just everywhere for me. Well, I think like so many of us, I put so much on the election. I, you know, I do better when there's something for me to look forward to. I'm lear- I've, This is some clarity I've gained through 2020 is that I really like anticipation. I really use that to, in many ways, distract myself from grief or fear or frustration that I'm feeling in the present moment. You know, sort of like I'm a project person. I like to look forward. I like to kind of solve problems. And, and I like that forward momentum. And, you know, Any forward momentum we got in 2020 was full of dread. And so I think the forward momentum I did focus on was the election. Like, if we can just get through that, if we can just get on the other side of this and Joe Biden can win. And I think one of the, like, most not unexpected, but most brutal turns of 2020, like, we were robbed of that relief. Like, yes, I know people danced in the streets when they called it on Saturday. And I'm happy for those people. (laughs) I did not have any dancing in the streets here in my hood. But 
And I didn't feel like I, I didn't trust it. I didn't feel it. I couldn't even let myself be excited or happy and still can't to a certain extent. It's like I get little bubbles of relief and little glimpses of what this is going to be like. But he's so toxic and he continues to just smash and grab and smash and grab and smash and grab. And to escalate the rhetoric, I'm worried so much about violence that like I can't even let that release and relief come. Not until Inauguration Day that, you know, it was a combination of the disappointment that it wasn't just a blue tsunami and that even though we succeeded at the presidency and where it was where in so many ways it's the most important one, that I couldn't even like feel it. I couldn't even be happy about it because I think, you know, 2020 is like you can't even try. You don't trust yourself. You don't trust yourself to react. You don't trust yourself to sort of feel it and check it off the list. And, and maybe that's the right thing. I mean, I think part of the reason this episode is important is like, I don't trust, like, I don't trust that instinct to like check this list off and move on. I just think we're going to have to be processing and dealing with the lessons from 2020 for so long. And, you know, I think feeling like that hard work in front of us is part of it too. And trying to rise to that challenge as opposed to just be like wanting to curl up in a ball, which is definitely part of my instinct is it's this this tension that's like constantly lives and it was so intense particularly in like October. I mean that maybe the only the other moment that I that will stay with me is the moment where my husband woke me up and said the president and first lady have covid. I think that might be the only movement the only moment in this entire year where I was like super plugged into cable news. I didn't even do that after election day, but like I downloaded CNN on my phone and was watching him leave the White House cuz I thought is he going to die? Like, what is happening? And it just felt like that we were just being so tossed around by the chaos of this presidency and the chaos of the pandemic and the chaos of this just historical moment. It felt scary and frightening and frustrating and angering. And it just it was and I I think you're right. I don't think I'm over it yet. I don't think I've really let all those moments, because I think at the end of the day, I mean, what we're talking about is we just feel powerless. I think that's the theme of 2020 in so many ways. Like we just, we feel powerless and I've worked really hard not to feel hopeless, but I struggled with that in October and November for sure. I think that the hopelessness for me, and I I, I don't feel hopeless, but that temptation to hopelessness that is really difficult to chase off right now for me comes in seeing how in a year where everything has changed in so many ways, there are pieces that seem immovable. And some of those pieces are the most counterproductive, and yet they seem the most immovable. And so I don't understand all of the kind-hearted, good, reasonable people in my life who love Donald Trump being with him on fighting about masks, even as I know how confusing the public health messaging on masks has been. It's just surprising to me that that we're so immovable that we will take public health practices and, and see them in our red versus blue lens. It is shocking to me the level of reaction that I've had about the president getting COVID and receiving experimental treatment before it was available to other people and being able to recover so quickly and move on 
and that happening to person after person in his orbit and feeling this sense that like, wow, you know, the aristocrats in our country, our version of the top caste mm-hmm. is getting a different kind of health care than everybody else. And it's the same disease. This isn't even like different diseases affect different populations. It's the same thing. And they're getting different treatment. And then I was reading this piece from Josh Barrow and Business Insider. We can't link it because it's behind a paywall. But Josh Barrow was talking about reasons to be optimistic about next year. And he was saying the vaccine is coming. We can't even measure what it's going to be like to just have a normal president again, how much of a relief that's going to be. But he used this phrase when he was talking about the economy that took my breath away. And I'm going to date myself. Some of you won't get this reference. But he said, our economy has basically done a mass Susie Orman. If you don't know who Susie Orman is, she wears colorful jackets and tells you that you can have a million dollars if you'll stop drinking Starbucks, basically. (laughs) And, And that is such a perfect description for the economy, right? We have stopped going to restaurants. We've stopped taking vacations. Like all those things that Susie Orman would tell you are extras and detract from your long-term savings goals, we're not doing. And massive amounts of money have been pumping through the stock market. It's unbelievable to look at what happens in the stock market every day right now. And that split screen has brought me back into that temptation toward hopelessness. Because seeing how steadily money is held onto at the highest mm-hmm. levels of our society when the need is so clear and obvious and the reason for the need is so clear and obvious. This is not, you know, people want to live off the government instead of work. People want to work. People are risking their health to protest so they can work, you know, and we're not and we're still unwilling to get that aid to them. And and lots of people are deciding instead well, let me buy a few more shares of whatever because that's mm-hmm. looking really great right now. I mean, and listen, this is new thinking for me. This is not baked into my political philosophy. And it's a way of talking that I never thought I'd hear from myself. But it just seems so clear to me in this year and the way that we are still, you know, you and I talked about like the scariest thing here is not if everything changes, it's if nothing changes and we just kind of go on. And that power of inertia through this has been overwhelming to me. I do think we're past that moment. I remember us having that conversation in the spring. Like, what if we just go back? And I don't think that's available to us anymore. I think that that ship has sailed, even though, you know, I think that so much of what Joe Biden is trying to perpetuate or sort of make people feel is like we're going to just get back to normal. But I think like you can't unsee. You can't unsee that the inequity within our education system is pretty simple. It's the systems linked to property taxes. We all see that now. At least I think a lot of people do, that there's problems in the education system. There's inequity, that we're not going to educate ourselves out of racism. Like, that's not the answer to every to every problem in our system is like, we'll just unlock the past to education and that will solve everything because education has its own problems. And I think that there is a sense of, like, we're not going back to everybody has to come to the office. Like, I think that ship has sailed. The idea of, like, now that we have Twitter and Facebook and Google and all these companies saying you can work from home indefinitely, like, we're not going back. Like, so much of the real estate that revolves around office space, like, that's changed forever. So I I think there's an aspect of this that's, like, we can't unsee it. We can't unfeel it. We can't undo it. 
you know, what's hard is that we need to heal from this moment and also find the reserves to fight for the solutions we now know we need. And I think that's what's so difficult in the face of, you know, the other sort of theme throughout this year as we look back on it, to me, is just conspiracy theories and misinformation and just, you know, even to the point of like BuzzFeed calling QAnon mass delusions. Like, you know, we're talking about this as the the one narrative of the pandemic is everybody gaining clarity. But the tension, the paradox, the flip side of that is that at the same time, millions of Americans are choosing to ignore reality and to believe misinformation, to adopt, based on the leadership coming from our president, a version of the world that does not exist that is not based in fact. And I think that's the other sort of hard thing when you look back on this year and you can see that thread throughout as well. Well, and when you talk about what we're not going back on, there are some real downsides to that too. I mean, I don't know that we ever have another normal election I don't know that we ever have another normal Republican leadership approach. And maybe on the Democratic side, too. I mean, there are just things that have been altered politically that absent a strong bipartisan consensus, which seems impossible in and of itself, right, will be very hard to work our way out of. Now, I'm, I hope always that we can do that, and I hope that with a little bit of hindsight, we can get enough people on the same page to say, like, hey, this we don't want these kinds of questions anymore. And, and around the conspiracy theory-oriented stuff and also some of the things that are just process things, all this confusion and obfuscation and misdirection from the Trump campaign about Pennsylvania happened – because some counties gave people a chance to cure their ballots and others didn't. Well, that's a thing that I imagine Pennsylvania is going to fix, mm. right? So there are there are little things like that 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 I think will help. But we there's going to be like so many waves of all of the things we've been living in. I mean, just just the separation of children from their parents at the border. That's going to present new crises over time. I have no doubt about it. And so even as you think, well, we've got to get through all of this and heal and marshal our energy to work on the big issues, it's not like we're going to just get to work on the big issues because what's happened is going to have a long tail on multiple Mm -hmm. fronts and new things will happen. And that to me is the hard part of being a person. You know, Chad was kind of disagreeing with me about my Christmas card approach (laughs) <laughs> because I was trying to acknowledge the year and and not just be like, Merry Christmas from the Silvers. Yay, everything's mm-hmm. normal. And he said, you know, I kind of hate all this 2020 sucks business because it's just a year. It's the ca- it's not the calendar's fault. <laughs> you know, he said, like, this is the condition of being human. There are really hard periods. And there are really hard periods where things come in waves. I grew up among people who believed that death comes in threes, right? And this is kind of a global version of that. And he and he has a point. And so I try to tell myself, like, it's not just turning the page on the year and everything's going to be different. And I can't be mad at the year. But I can also recognize this particular phase of being human is a lot. And it will change all of us. Well, and again, I don't, I do want to recognize the bright spots 
particularly surrounding the election. The turnout was unbelievable. Watching people so dedicated to voting that they would wait hours in line is not something I thought I would witness in my lifetime. The level of activism, the level of people that just made wrote card after card and postcard and letter to swing votes, the people who um, just really dedicated their lives to this election and to turning the tide from the candidates to the grassroots organizers, to the volunteers, to the voters was something to behold. And it was I hate that Donald Trump has, through his refusal to concede, soaked up so much of the energy that we should be dedicating to recognizing that this was a free and fair election and that millions and millions of Americans participated in it. And that is fantastic. And that is wonderful. And, you know, that is an incredibly bright spot in the midst of an incredibly difficult election. There have been true acts of patriotism and generosity and care all throughout this year that I'll always remember too. I think it's it's important to reflect on that. I think that just within my family, I understand my children very differently. I understand myself as a parent very differently. I value my marriage even more than I did coming into this pandemic, seeing the partnership that Chad and I've been able to have through this. I value our partnership even more because doing what we do this year has been so strange and challenging. And I feel like every step of the way, our values have been the same about it. And that is so precious to me that our audience has hung with us through this year means a lot to me. So it it is not that everything about 2020 sucks. I mean, heck, we celebrated our 500th episode. We did. That was pretty amazing. We did. And, And I really am excited about next year. And so I don't want to, I want to be vulnerable about my grief and fears while also being clear about my optimism and gratitude. Well, and I just want to say, because I know I need to hear it. And so I'm assuming that many of you need to hear it. We did the best we could. We all did the best we could this year. We tried, we failed, we yelled, we lost. We went for the stupid walk, as Aaron Moon says. We had great connections over Zoom. We had terrible connections <laughs> over Zoom. Uh, we innovated. We found new ways to fundraise and to teach and to congregate and to worship. And we did the best we could. And I think that at a certain point, you just have to let the year be what it is. And it was hard and it was difficult, but we all did the best that we could. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So some of the inspiration for this episode also came from Catherine Andrews, Sunday Soother, which you guys should all check out. She's fantastic. And she suggested writing a grief letter to 2020 to just get out your emotion towards this year. I'm sure Chad would not love the idea of personifying a calendar year enough to write a letter to it, but I like it. Chad's not writing a grief letter. No, (laughs) (laughs) but I love some of her prompts that she suggests while you're writing the letter. We'll put the link in the show notes. But one of them is now that you are leaving, I feel. So, Beth, how how do you complete the sentence to 2020? Now that you are leaving, I feel. Now that you are leaving, I feel. I really just want to put the Facebook um, status. It's complicated here. Mm -hmm. Because I do I do feel grateful for what I've learned this year. I also feel like I'm not quite removed enough to know how I feel. I still feel stuck, honestly, because I I feel that bridge from December to January. Winter has become a thing in my mind more than the calendar, I guess. But on the whole, I will say I feel 
I feel resolute. I know we can handle hard things here in this house. I know we can handle hard things as a people. We don't always handle them well. When you said everybody's done their best, I thought, everybody? I don't know. don't know that everybody did their best. (laughs) But I feel really certain about tapping into my own reserves. I feel very clear about what's important to me about 2021 as far as I can see it. And I feel a sense of resilience in myself and the people around me. That was a long answer. It's complicated. Now that 2020 is leaving, I feel sore. I feel sore and spent. I feel much like I felt in those first few days after giving birth, like just depleted. Wiser, for sure. Grateful as you do after every hard thing, definitely. But sore and spent and exhausted. And it feels very much like those those thin places, those liminal spaces to me right now, where in this foggy way, things are clear, which is a paradox, I, I know, but it is what it is. And, that, and that's how this year, particularly as the year comes to long, feels to me. It feels like that thin space. I feel like, you know because it's beaten me down a little bit. Like I have that glimpse of that thin place between here and the present, between the past and the present, between the spiritual and the physical. No, I just feel like that, that I'm living in that space right now. But it is, it's exhausting. I feel I feel sore and exhausted and really spent. So we invite you to write your own letter if you want to. We hope that this conversation has opened up a little space in your life to just begin to process this incredible year that we will never forget, that we won't stop talking about on January 1st, 2021, that we will tell our grandchildren about one day. We are so proud and honored to have shared this incredible year with all of you for all your support, for coming and dedicating hours of your life during this difficult year to listening to what we had to say about it. Um, that's a privilege that we never take lightly and good years are bad. Thank you for joining us here on Pantsuit Politics in 2020. Keep it nuanced, y'all. We'll see you in 2021. Good episode. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. David McWilliams. Allie Edwards. Martha Brunitsky. Amy Whited. Janice Elliott. Sarah Ralph. Barry Kaufman. Jeremy Sequoia. Lori Lodow. Emily Neasley. Allison Luzader. Tracy Putoff. Danny Osmond. 
Molly Coors, Julie Haller, Jared Minson, Marnie Johansson, The Creeps, Tawny Peterson, Sherry Blem, Tiffany Hasler, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Linda Daniel, Joshua Allen, and Tim Miller. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.